Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network Headquarters. Today is January 2nd, it's a Monday, and the year is 2012. I actually coined a new term. Uh, Y212, right? It's going to be like, why do remember Y2K? Y212, right? This is the year when the whole world is supposed to blow up in some giant fireball or the Mayans are going to come back and eat your children or I don't know what the Tin Hatters are going to tell you about 2012. I'm going to tell you like this. There's going to be some hard times and some good times in 2012 as far as the where, where the show's going and what this community's doing. I'm really, really excited about it. I actually think in some ways, and we'll even touch on this today, 2012 is going to be a pretty good year. There will definitely be some hardships too, but uh, we'll try to get through those together, living the show creed. But of course, today we're kicking off a new year. This is the first show of 2012, episode 811, and I think it's going to be fun. And I've got some cool stuff in the show that's not typical. I've got a couple actual letters that were sent to me in the mail from some listeners to read to you. Uh, I've got uh, my predictions for the first round of the NFL playoffs, just for the heck of it. And I've got a lot of other great stuff, but we're back to the normal schedule. Everything today except for the NFL playoff predictions, which I know is not everybody's cup of tea, but folks, I'll spend like two seconds on it or something. Like, I'm just going to give you the games and who I think is going to win, and I'm going to congratulate somebody I don't want to congratulate, but I'm going to do it anyway. This is the right thing to do. Um, but anyway, um, I just want to kind of reassure you guys, we are going back to the normal scheduled programming. Listener feedback shows, which are your emails, sent to jack at the survivalpodcast.com with, you know, either question for Jack or article for Jack or video for Jack or something like that in the subject line so that I know to, to put it into that queued up folder and, and take a look at it. Uh, and then on Fridays, we're going back to your calls. Quick announcement on the calls and the emails. If you sent me an email last year, which I know is only two days ago, and you don't hear it today, um, assume it's gone forever, and if it's something you really want on the show, resend it. I'm cleaning out that box. If you made a phone call to me, anything other than this week, this last week, anything between Christmas and New Year's, I'm going to go ahead and put them in the queue and see if I can screen them through. But all the phone calls that came in through last year, there's like a couple hundred of them in there. I'm just, I'm just going to wash them out. I'm sorry uh, that I'm doing that, but what I want to try to do is I'm going to start screening the calls as they come in daily. And queuing them up for the show on Friday on a daily basis, I think that'll work better. Uh, instead of coming in Friday morning and queuing them up, and that's sometimes part of why I didn't do a show. I just didn't feel like going through the calls and doing that. So I'm going to do that more on an ongoing basis and try to get calls on the air that were made within a week or two at most from when they were. And when I, when I get too much backlog, I'm just going to clean them out again. And try to get the call-in shows to be more uh, temporal, more up-to-date so that people are getting answers as they call. Anyway, with that, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, Emergency Essentials. You'll find them at BePrepared.com. Again, BePrepared.com. They must be pretty prepared to get that domain. It was probably pretty tough to do. Uh, somebody pointed out to me the reason the Boy Scouts don't have it is because they have BePrepared.org. I think it's just because uh, the guys at Emergency Essentials registered domains quicker. They were a little bit more prepared than the Boy Scouts. And they can help you be prepared, too, especially in the realm of long-term storage food. They have an incredible selection. Uh, they have great shipping. It's their fastest as they can possibly be, except when they sell out of stuff, and that you know that happens to everyone. Uh, great service and, and a great price. So what more could you ask for? Make sure you're getting their cash. Catalog or catalogs really, really awesome. Again, you'll find them at BePrepared.com. Best way to find that sponsor and all Survival Podcast sponsors, of course, though, is go to TheSurvivalPodcast.com. Click on their banners in the right-hand margin. Then you know you're dealing with a real sponsor that's personally endorsed by me and vetted by our listener advertising council uh, and not some cheap imitator. Next up today, Western Botanicals, a very long-term sponsor. Been with us for just about ever. Uh, absolutely have really loved... Uh, uh, working with Western Botanicals. And I'll tell you why. Because I like to use herbals in my daily life. And if we need something, and I don't have it growing in my backyard or sitting on my shelf, I pick up the phone and I call them. And then real people answer the phone and they actually help me. And I don't mind like, hey, this is Jack from the Survival Podcast. You better take good care of me. I just say, hey, this is Jack. And I, you know, they, they, you know, if I get somebody new, they don't even know who I am. 
and they always handle it wonderfully. And they'll either be like, yeah, we have that, and we'll get it to you. But a lot of times they're like, well, why are you getting that right now? And I'll tell them, and I'll say, well, let me talk to Dr. Christensen, and let's see if that's really the best thing for what you're dealing with right now. And they will make great recommendations. And we had things happen like we wanted some turmeric for my wife. It's a great anti-inflammatory for those of you with migraines. And uh, they have an anti-inflammatory Uh, formula, which has a lot of turmeric and some other stuff in it, but we just had ordered the turmeric. Well, they called us up and said, we can substitute this. Uh, we wanted to go out today for you. So we, they called our cell phone and they changed the order on the spot and uh, even didn't charge us a little bit of extra money. Just set it up. We said, we're out of stock. We said it was here. It's not. So we'll just send you this in its place at the same price. That's awesome service. That's what you get from Western Botanicals, people that care. So check them out. Uh, next up, remember, you can connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. On the YouTube videos, I have been doing more. Just as promised, more will come. I have to set some stuff up in January with the new videographer who's working out really well and helping us out with some stuff there. Uh, and I'm also planning on doing some more videos maybe here at the office that are more lecture-oriented, whiteboard-on-the-wall type things, explaining some of the things that you guys are asking about with swales and homesteading and some other stuff where I can draw things out for you so make sure you subscribe last but not least do consider joining the member support brigade you do that you get exclusive content available only to members you get great discounts you get all kinds of cool stuff i'll leave it at that but remember military law enforcement peace corps active duty or prior service email me before you join and i will give you a special national service discount all right with that let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show the first thing i want to read to you today is a letter from a gentleman named matt And Matt wrote this uh, mid-December 12, 15, 11 is actually what's on the paper. And uh, it's really something that I wanted to share, and he wanted me to share it. So this is a, a, a letter actually mailed to me, not emailed to me. And I'm holding it now as I read it to you. Jack, just wanted to drop you a quick note. Your show has changed my life. I'm currently 51, and eight years ago we moved into a larger house with a larger house payment. I thought it was a good investment. Obviously, I was wrong. Four years ago, my wife and I decided to look for land to pay off and put a smaller retirement home on someday, which quickly got put on hold. Then my wife had to quit her job to do being, due to being a slave to the boss. She would come home crying at night. It was so bad. Then the recession started, and she had issues finding full-time work. Then my job got rocky. I was essentially told that I was a number, I was a number, and if things got worse, I would be gone. We took mandatory pay cuts, and our 401k was dropped. There was a lot of sleepless nights during this time. I stayed up nights wondering why I had this big house payment and recently purchased a new car payment. I also had, I have always been called cheap and have been told I squeak when I walk. I call it frugal, but I lost my way. Why did I do this to myself? I beat myself up over this. My wife finally got a full-time work in 2009, which eased my stress a little, but I was the breadwinner. About a year ago, a co-worker turned me on to your show, and I've been hooked. I have so far listened to around 600 episodes while driving to work and back. Here's where we are today. The economy is better now, and we're both employed, and my job is safe for the moment. We started looking for five acres of land in January 2011. My agent asked what I wanted. Um, I, told, I told her five wooded acres only. One day she insisted I look at 22 acres with a 1,500-square-foot mobile home. There was a bank foreclosure. It was 17 wooded, five pasture, five-stall five horse barn, one-car garage. We fell in love with it, and we got it for a steal. Planning to do a little fix-up while I put my house on the market didn't work. I sold in three days and had to move in 30. That's a good problem to have, isn't it, folks? I went from a fancy HOA neighborhood to a secluded home site with endless possibilities. We are now debt-free, no water bill, no sewer bill, no trash bill because we recycle. I just bought a good Honda generator at Sam's for a thousand bucks to run my well, fridge, and freezer. A few lights and, and the heat wrap for the water pipes under the house and the heat lamp in the well and the heat lamp in the well house. I have a wood stove being installed this week, so I will not have a heating bill, thousand dollar savings per year or ten. Uh, not have a heating bill. That's a thousand dollar savings per year. Future plans are a solar heater, a rain catch system, a large garden, fruit trees and berries in 2012, a little solar or wind in 2012 or 2013 before the tax credit goes away, chickens and rabbits in 2012 or 13. A huge weight has been lifted off my shoulders. I lost my job today. We would, if I lost my job today, we would easily survive now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Your show picked me up when I was down and gave me hope. I turned a dream into reality. Anyone can do it if you set your mind to it. I have a lot of work ahead of me, but with the education I received from your show, I know I'll get there. My hope is you end up reading this on the air. It will give someone else hope they need to change their life. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Matt. Awesome, 
Awesome, awesome. And I want your stories like this, folks. If you have a story like this, send it to me. Mail it to me. Email it to me. Uh, either way. And I'll try to read more of those. Because I think you guys enjoy hearing those. Now for something a little bit different. This is from someone that online is known as Veronica Devers. I think that's how this person wants to be known publicly. So I won't say their actual name. Uh, but here is the letter that was sent to me by Devers. Uh, Merry Christmas, Jack and family. That I think the best gift I can give you is a membership to my brother's new organization, Petra. Yes, Petra is long overdue. Here is their mission. By the way, folks, Petra stands for People for the Ethical Treatment of Rocks in America. All right. The mission of Petra is to raise consciousness regarding the unethical treatment administered to rocks in America and ultimately around the world. The abuse inflicted on rocks is rampant and with near complete disregard. Rocks are blasted from their locations with explosives, dislodged, walked on, mixed in concrete, worn for jewelry, used to adorn build buildings, and a myriad of other abuses. These poor rocks are crushed and forced to become concrete, used to make those horrible roads that covered the earth. Did anyone ask these rocks if they wanted to become concrete? No. Since early days of man, rocks had been abused, chipped, and carved into wheels and tools. Early man even painted on the inside of the rock's own cave dwellings. And look at the favoritism shown to diamonds over the other gems. This is outrageous behavior. Diamonds rise to the top, and the other germ gems are not even offered anything from what the diamonds receive. Oh, the injustice of it all. Other gems should receive some kind of benefits to balance out the score. Surely you can see what a valuable organization Petra is. Someone must stand up for rocks. Petra is now getting a website which should be up and running very soon. It will be much easier to spread the word once it is out there. I know my brother Roger would gladly offer you some free memberships for lucky winners of TSP. Should you like to offer those in 2012, his email is, and I'll get in touch with him, see if I can get you guys a few free memberships to Petra. Uh, if you want to touch base with him, he might even make a good interview guest for you. He sounds interesting. This is kind of plucky stuff here. Anyway, he continues on. All kidding aside, I hope you and yours have a superior Christmas. You have inspired me greatly, and while my situation is very difficult, I'm not getting my bug-out location. I'm hopefully getting a house near the river that has lots of storage space, a yard where I can plant food and put some fruit trees. There's a koi pond. I'll raise up a couple of nice, fat, juicy catfish in it, along with attracting some insects and natural predators I need for my garden. I doubt I can have chickens, but I will look into quail or pheasants. I can raise rabbits. Not real sure how I can add a small beehive, but I'm going to look the situation over and see if I can come up with some kind of a game plan. Hope you're enjoying the CDs and finding lots of things to share with the listeners. I felt the info on Acorns for Food was great. Uh, disc, and it just, he sent me some DVDs that I'm actually going through. do have a lot of really great information. And he signs off with, today is what you make it. So make it a good one. So, folks, I think that's a great way to start the new year. Today is what you make it, so make it a good one. Um, moving on from there, I wanted to do something kind of fun today, just a little bit different. And, of course, the NFL playoffs uh, are beginning Saturday with Wild Card Weekend. There's four games on, and my Steelers are playing. So it, those of you that are on Facebook, this will come no surprise to you that I'm a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I even got a really awesome championship banner with all six, yes, I said six, Super Bowl years on it from uh, my kid for Christmas that it's here now. I need to hang up the office in this beautiful framed thing for my wife that has the, the tickets from the Super Bowls, from the six Super Bowls they went to uh, with some, some pins on them as well. It's just really cool. Maybe I'll post some pictures of those after we get them hung up on Facebook. But I am a huge Steelers fan. But with that, I have to congratulate somebody. Somebody who's been working out what they've done for a long, long time. And that is the thorn in my butt, the Baltimore Ravens. The uh, Ravens have won the AFC North. That's something they've worked on for a long time. Uh, this is a huge Steelers fan, obviously. I'm not real fond of the Ravens, but I will recognize them. I want to point out how tough the AFC North is. The AFC North is so tough. Um, that there's, you know, the way the playoffs work is every division has a champion and they're in. And then two teams out of all the divisions that have the best records that didn't win are in as wild cards. That's where wild card, uh, comes from. 
So guess what? The Ravens, the Steelers, and the Bengals from the AFC North are all in the playoffs. There's only four teams in a division, and three of the four made the playoffs. I'm not sure how often that's happened, but it's uh, it's pretty awesome. It's a testament to how tough that division uh, and those teams have been. But just real quick, like I said, not to make it last too long, uh, first game I have up on the board is Cincinnati and Houston, and I'm picking Cincinnati over Houston. Uh, I think the AFC North is going to hang tough right through wildcard weekend. All three teams, well, Baltimore has a bye, so they don't have to play. Uh, then there's the New Orleans over, New, I have New Orleans over Detroit. I think it's great that Detroit's finally in the playoffs again, but I don't think there's any way they can stand up to Drew Brees and the uh, Saints. Giants over Atlanta I have uh, on the Sunday wildcard game. Uh, I think most people would pick Atlanta over the Giants, but watching them play the Cowboys last night, I was really impressed with them. And if they can come and play that way, uh, they can definitely beat Atlanta. And then, of course, Pittsburgh will be playing Denver. And uh, I think we're seeing Tebow for the lousy quarterback that he is at this point. He's had some really strong moments, and I admit I've enjoyed watching him play but he's not a good quarterback, not at the NFL level. Uh, he's really good at moving around and, and, and getting some extra yards and, and, and avoiding tackles at times, but uh, that's not enough to play at the elite layer. So I think my Steelers are absolutely going to kill the Broncos. I will hold off on my predictions for the next week until we get there. Anyway, okay, so I've got that knocked out. Now I want to go back to you know the stuff that we actually talk about here. And I know some of you are really irritated that I you know discussed football on the Survival Podcast, but get over it because well I'm over it, and if I'm over it, you should be over it too. I just think it's cool once in a while that we get to know each other a little bit better. And uh, football, and specifically the Steelers, are a pretty big part uh, about me and who I am, so I wanted to share that with you today, and let's go on from there. Um, this one is kind of a hybrid question. It really pertains both to this show and, and my business podcast. I do five minutes with Jack, which you can, guys can listen to at uh, jackspirico.com. So this is Jack. I'm a longtime listener and a follower of Five Minutes with Jack and TSP. You've inspired me to start my own online business. Thanks. I'll get to the point. I think you should do a show about what capitalism is and is not. I'm so sick of hearing everyone bash capitalism. They don't realize the difference between cap capitalism a plutocracy, communism, socialism, fascism, etc. Many people are under the assumption that all forms of capitalism are evil. I think you'd be the guy to clear the air about this relevant issue right now. Maybe I'll do a whole show on this, but I think I can pretty much sum it up this way. We don't have an example of capitalism in modern, the modern world today anywhere. We really don't. Capitalism would work like this. You would work, you would compete with other people, and the market would decide who is better, and dollars would be used to vote with. We have pseudo-capitalism. We do have a plutocracy. We have a system right now where, and this may be hard for some of you to accept, especially if you haven't ever heard it before, but actually, I would say that the United States today is, is on some levels a plutocracy, but more accurately, it's a fascist government. It's a fascist economic state. Fascism is when the state and business work together and use the divisions between the classes to be advantageous. And what trips people up is you hear fascists and you think Nazi Germany and executing people in concentration camps. That's what one fascist government did, right? But Italy was a fascist government and they didn't do that. So that's not, not fascism is not what people think it is. They, you hear these people talking about Islamo-fascism and that's... That's also not fascism. Fascism is an economic system. And it's an economic system that is supposed to represent a third way between communism and laissez-faire capitalism. And what I described at the beginning would be laissez-faire capitalism. Capitalism is very, very simple, and, and this is part of the problems that we have today. All these regulations and things that are supposed to protect us, they don't protect us. They protect big companies. If you build something or market something or manufacture something or do anything in the world and you're a multi-billion dollar company, you want as many regulations and rules in your industry as you can possibly create. These rules that hamper growth, they don't hamper growth. They hamper competition. Capitalism means it's a jump ball. Whoever jumps highest and grabs the ball and wants it most wins the game. And capitalism allows for people to have 
little bitty companies that just paid for their family or great big giant companies. Now, if we want to say that there's a point in time where companies become too large and have too much power and have some regulations to prevent monopoly, that I'm okay with. But the regulations actually create monopolies. But instead of having a monopoly of one, we have a monopoly of two or three. And if, if there's three companies in a sector and, the, and, and one company wants to buy another and take it down to two, as long as there's two, it's not a monopoly. But the reality is a monopoly. Those companies are trading employees. Those companies are trading, trading information. Those companies are completely controlling everything. The last thing they want is Joe Blow Inc. to rise up and challenge them and give the consumer a true choice. Capitalism, folks, if I'm asked what it is, it's, it means you have a true choice about where you spend your money and how much of your money you keep. That's what capitalism is. And the reason that we hear negative things about capitalism in America today is we don't have it. That's as much as I'm going to say on that one today. Uh, but I do think it is an important topic, and that's why I was willing to cover it. Um, so another one that I got for you from a lot of you guys over the holiday was info on, um, on Monsanto's uh, genetically modified corn. And some problems they're having with it. And it's really nothing new, but I guess it's just in the news again. So I'll talk about it because I had to get 50 emails over the over this, you know, week I was off about this one story. So obviously you guys are interested in it. It's on MSNBC, but as usual, they're just reprinting the Associated Press. So I'll, it's not a long article, so I'll, I'll just knock it out and read it to you real quick. One of the nation's most widely planted crops, a genetically engineered corn plant that makes its own insecticide, may be losing its effectiveness because a major pest appears to be developing resistance more quickly than scientists expected. That's very important right there, isn't it? More quickly than we what well, we knew it was going to happen. We just didn't know it was going to... Anyway, the U.S. food supply is not in any immediate danger because the problem remains isolated, but scientists fear risky, potentially risky farming practices could be blunting the hybrid sophisticated weaponry. When it was introduced in 2003, so-called BT corn seemed like an answer to farmers' dreams. It would allow growers to bring in bountiful harvests using fewer chemicals because the corn naturally produces a toxin that poisons western corn rootworms. The hybrid was such a swift success that it and similar varieties now account for 65% of all U.S. corn acres. 65% of corn farmers are growing this crap. Grain that ends up in thousands of everyday foods such as cereal sweeteners and cooking oil. I got a solution. Stop eating the corn syrup, folks. But over the last few summers, rootworms have feasted on the roots of BT corn in parts of four Midwestern states, suggesting that some of the insects are becoming resistant to the crop's pest-fighting powers. Scientists say the problem could be partly the result of farmers who've planted BT corn year after year in the same fields. Most farmers rotate corn with other crops in a practice long used to curb spread of pests, but some have abandoned rotation because they need extra grain for livestock or because they have grain contracts with ethanol producers. They have contracts with subsidies, okay, folks? They have to produce this stuff. Other than other farmers have eschewed the practice to cash in on higher corn prices, which hit a record in June. Quote, right now, quite frankly, it's very profitable to grow corn, end quote, said Michael Gray, a University of Illinois crop sciences professor who's tracking BT corn damage in that state. You read the rest of the article if you want to, but here's basically what's happening. They make this corn, and then the corn rootworm goes in there and eats the corn root, and then the corn plant doesn't thrive or produces less or dies, depending on it. And then, of course, with monocropping, we put in a billion acres of corn, and then there's a billion rootworms, uh, and then they, they all pee and wait till next year and they come back and they eat the corn again. So we've actually set up the buffet. So Monsanto says instead of, instead of polyculture and doing things in a natural way that would actually fix the problem and rebalance the equation, let's just totally screw with it and we'll engineer the corn to produce its own BT, bacteria thungrosis or something like that. Bacillus thungrosis, I never pronounce it right, but it's a bacterium. It's not a harmful bacterium. Uh, it's it, organic growers have used it in a spray uh, format for a very long time. When the corn eats it, basically it's a bacteria that if you eat it, it won't hurt you. But if the corn worm eats it, it's it's to it's toxic to the corn worm, and the corn worm dies. Of course, some worms are you know resistant to bacteria, just like any other creature. If you're exposed to bacteria as a species for long enough, there will be some members of the species that are resistant, and uh, they will uh, they will survive. 
And then eventually you'll end up with a species that's completely resistant to it by using that one method of control. So it's not, this is, I'm not as worried about this GMO as I am about, let's say, Roundup Ready stuff where they're spraying it with Roundup and then you're eating it. Um, I don't like GMOs as a whole, but this I, I, I can, you know, make some allowances for, except the way that it's being used. And what you're going to end up with is superworms. It's an isolated problem. Well, for now, but as long as they keep using this stuff, because here's the thing. It's not like you can just make, you know, version 2.0. See, the problem is we think in that internet mentality now, oh, we'll just upgrade it, give it a patch. It's a bacteria. It's a bacteria. So we've actually taken a natural method of control, and we've put it to a level that it was never meant to naturally exist in, and we've destroyed the means of control. Because we've had so much impact with it through the monocrop model, that now we're going to end up with a complete population of these uh, these uh, these superworms, and they're going to devastate corn crops. If people are saying, "What does this mean?" Well, that's what it means. But it also doesn't mean that it's the end of GMOs. Oh no, 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 friends! They're going to keep rocking on with this stuff. In fact, let me tell you what Monsanto's next card to play. So, right as this problem is is being made evident, right as people like me have been saying that this is what's going to happen forever with GMOs, that these things would, you know. Uh, they would begin to adapt and, and all these other risks that are out there. USDA does what? Clears first drought tolerant biotech corn. Washington, December 21, USDA Animal and Plant Health Inspection Services will lift its restrictions on the corn variety genetically engineered by Monsanto and BASF to tolerate drought. It expects to publish the deregulation notice in the federal registry on Tuesday. So let me, let me translate that to non-bullshit. Okay, the people that used to work for Monsanto that now work for the organization that's supposed to protect us have approved Monsanto's Frankencorn. That's it. Because the people at the uh, Animal and Plant Health Inspector Service, 90% of them used to work for Monsanto or ConAgra or Bayer or other big ag companies. Flat out the truth. Commercial approval of drought-tolerant varieties has long been the goal of the biotech industry, and if it lives up to its promise, the milestone in crop improvement and food production. The statement this afternoon, Monsanto said the drought-tolerant trait is projected to be introduced as part of an overall system that would offer farmers improved genetics, agronomic practices, and end the drought trait. On farm trials next year, we'll give farmers experience with the product while generating data to help inform the company's commercial decisions, it said. Quote, our drought system is designed to help farmers mitigate the risk of yield loss when experiencing drought stress, primarily in areas of annual drought stress. And quote, said Robert Beagley, U.S. product management lead. Quote, this spring, farmers in western Great Plains will have an opportunity to see how the system performs on their farm through on-farm trials. And quote, with varieties that include its genuity status traits, resist insects, and tolerate glyphosate herbicides. So here's the thing. If this was just corn that was genetically engineered to be drought tolerant, as much as I don't like GMOs, I would have to say, well, it's not going to create a new pest. It's probably not going to be harmful directly. And how did they make it? Where did this gene splicing come from? Maybe there's, but no. No, 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 no. It's not just drought-tolerant corn. They're adding the trait to the corn that has this this uh, BT in it for, for that we're just learning is failing already, so they're going to keep using it. So now we're going to have drought-tolerant corn that can make it through the droughts that will help the pests make it through the droughts and multiply even more. Yay! But the last one is my big problem. And tolerate glyphosate herbicides. That means the food you eat is drenched in herbicide. That's why the GMO thing's a problem, folks. That's why I want you growing your own food. That's why I'm working on AgriTrue. Oh, AgriTrue update, unplanned, right now in the middle of the show. Uh, we had a problem. Uh, it was a coder who, if I, if I could find him, I swear to God, if I could find this guy, I am going to go where he is, and I'm going to punch him in the face, and I am going to physically kick his ass. I'll leave it at that. But if he's out there, if I find him, I'm telling you, uh, And I'll go pay the fine for kicking his ass. I'm okay with that. Anyway, found a new great coder, bringing him into the project instead of paying him to do work, giving him a stake of equity. His wife is a designer, teaming him up with John and Tim uh, today so that we can get this project up. And within, I'd say, 30 to 60 days, we should have a beta or maybe even a pre-beta site launched. So that we're excited about it, and AgriTrue is going to be awesome. But that's why I'm doing AgriTrue, because I want people to have a flipping choice. 
right? If you want genetically modified crap, go eat it. I don't care, but I want people to be able to find the food that they want, and I want people taking responsibility for their food, growing their own food again. And I think AgriShrew is a big way to do that, and I think long-term, uh, 10% Project will actually be back on the drawing board. I think this guy, this guy, this coder that I found, folks, he's got some mad skills. And I think we're going to have some really awesome stuff coming in 2012 on the food front. Uh, so that kind of ties in with this. Uh, next question I have uh, is on Hulu culture. And here's a question from Jay. And this is a question I get different versions of a lot of time. Uh, Jack, I'm new to the prepper term. I thought it was how normal people live. Every time I ever talked to someone in the past, it was like, hey, man, we're going to die. I said, well, what the hell are you prepping for? Hey, hey, brother, I feel you. Uh, that's how I feel, too. And trust me, I hear from them every day because of what I do. Anyway, I have around a 1,000 cubic yards of wood chips. Do you think three or four feet of this material under a bed like Jack has would work? I just want to thank everyone here for reassuring the way I live is normal. Thank you from the top of my soul. Never heard that term before, but I like it, the top of my soul. Anyway, Anyway, Jay, on, uh, I get this question all the time, and the answer is always the same. Wood chips will work in a hulu culture system. They will just break down faster, and the life of the system will not be as long because there's more surface area with the wood chips, and uh, they are going to, uh, to break down faster. You also do not want to till them into your soil. I want to be very clear. If you're going to do hulu culture with wood chips, you need to create the space for them, whether it's an above-ground pile that you put humus and soil layers on top of, or you dig down and put them in and build on top. Don't mix them in. When you, when you till soil, especially till wood into soil, you get a lot of compaction and a lot of hard-top-type results, and it doesn't work out the way that you're wanting it to, and since the surface area of contact with the soil is so great, it, it, it ups the whole nitrogen thief uh, thing. The wood will give the nitrogen back, but you can only put so much nitrogen in early on, so when you have that dense pile, it takes a long time for some of that wood in the middle to actually be taking things up, so it will work, it just won't last as long as using solid pieces of wood. With a thousand cubic yards, though, I don't know where you came up with that, but man, you might as well. But I, let, me, let me throw another thing at you. If you just use, if you have that much wood chips and everywhere you're growing, you just mulch about six to ten inches deep in wood. Again, not turning the soil, just stack it on there. Man, you're going to have very low irrigation requirements as it is. Uh, and with that amount of material, that might be really the way to go. Um, there's an interesting video out called Back to Eden. And I'll find a link for it today and put it in the show notes for you where pretty much that's the entire shtick. That's what this guy does as he just mulches with wood chips. He'll explain a lot of the things that I just explained to you at a deeper level. It is kind of biblical, so if that bugs you, I'm sorry. You know, and if it doesn't, then great. Um, but he, he takes a lot of inspiration from scripture and what he's doing. But whether you're secular or religious, I don't think it'll matter. I think the video is really, really valuable and can help you learn a lot. So look for that in today's show notes. Again, the, uh, the video is called Back to Eden. You can buy it on DVD, but you can also just watch the entire thing online for free. At least you could at one time when I watched it about, I guess about two, two or three weeks ago I watched it. Um, the next next one is not really even a question. It's just an announcement. Uh, I had Steve Ox the colonist on from Alert USA, and uh, he promised to give away five Nuke Alert uh, packages, and uh, we do have winners to those. I don't like to give last names on the show unless I have clearance to do so, so I'm just going to give you the, the folks' name. But but Terry M, Kyle T, Debbie K, Kate U, and Robert I uh, all won uh, a uh, Nuke Alert uh, package. Uh, valued at about a hundred bucks, and they will all receive their uh, package, or they will all, all the package will ship within 24 hours of their response. And uh, Steve says he'll keep us informed. So you guys won. Check your uh, your email if that, that sounds like you again. Terry M, Kyle T, Debbie K, Kate U, and Robert I. If those are your first name and last initial, make sure you check your spam folder and whatnot so you can claim your award. I'd like to thank Steve for doing that. It was really cool that he did that. I'd also like to throw out uh, kind of a plug here for Threat Journal. Uh, you can go to ThreatJournal.com and subscribe to Threat Journal for free. Uh, it's it's pretty insightful, some of the stuff that I've been reading there. I'll also tell you, I did sign up for Alerts USA. And remember, I got you guys a great deal, over 50% off for MSB members on Alerts USA. Um, really, really awesome deal. And I have not had a lot of alerts come through. So it's not like they're pinging you every day with just some made-up crap. But you know all the stuff that's going on right now with Iran and the Straits of Hormuz and them threatening to put mines there and close down the strait and all that? 
I knew about that a good day and a half before any of it was in the news through Alerts USA. In fact, in my habit, whenever I get information, what is the first thing I as a journalist do? I go vet it. So if you tell me something happened, the first thing I do is I go to Google News and I go to Google Blog Search, the sec, the, you know, kind of search the second tier information area. And I, so I did that and there was nothing there. And I thought, wait a minute, of course there's nothing there if this information is as timely as it's supposed to be. So then that next day on the news is all this stuff that Alerts USA had already told me. So again, thanks to Steve for the great discount for MSB members on Alerts USA. And I just want to say to you guys, if you're considering Alerts USA, especially at the discounted MSB price, it's really probably worth getting. Um, we'll talk a little bit about if systems fail in the, in the future, but I think in a lot of situations, if things get really bad, we'll still have a lot of infrastructure up and running. So cell phone networks are one of the last things to go down unless the government you know, intentionally shuts them down. And some of this information could end up being, I'm not saying specifics, but could end up being at times the edge you need to stay ahead of the game. Uh, I really like the service. Again, I remember when I had him on, a lot of you guys didn't agree with his politics. Uh, kind of his very, very hawkish view of the world. And, you know, I'm not much of a hawk myself on, on my view of things. I'm very much a libertarian. Uh, I'm probably a little more hawkish than some people out there listen to the show. But I'm much less on this whole thing with, you know, we just gotta go fight everybody. I'm more, more in sync with Ron Paul's foreign policy that everybody calls kooky, which is basically, if there's a threat, we'll handle it, but we're gonna do it constitutionally, and otherwise we should stay out of people's faces. So, Steve's a little bit more on the other, End of that extreme. Doesn't mean his information's not valid, and doesn't mean it's not solid, and doesn't mean he's not a great guy. And a lot of us that think this way now used to think that way. So don't hold it. That's just not about Steve. That's about people in general. Don't be too harsh on people that believe mainstream lines, because you probably did it one time too. And it takes time to awaken from these things. And at least he's paying attention and he's providing a valuable service we can use. So again, consider checking out Alerts USA and make sure you get the discount from the MSB. Quick MSB update. A couple uh, codes have expired for the end of the year. I'll be updating them later today or tomorrow. So if you have a code issue the next two days with ordering, let me know and I'll get it squared away. Uh, but if it's today, it's probably because I just haven't updated a couple of them that need to be updated uh, so that's one more thing kind of filtered into today. So kind of another update um, on my schedule. I keep getting asked as I publish more and more events that I'm going to do, when are you coming to the East Coast? And I'm like, well, New Hampshire's kind of the East Coast, and I'm going to New Hampshire in February uh, for the Liberty Forum, so you can come see me there. But I guess by East Coast, you guys mean more Southeast Coast. So uh, in an effort to do that, I've accepted a request uh, to speak at the Geo Preppers Conference, here's the details as we have them now. It will be Saturday, March 24, uh, March 24, 2012, uh, and the time will be, is yet to be announced. It will be alongside the Land and Sky Gun Show in Asheville, North Carolina. So it's not at the gun show; they'll be side by side. And if you have entry to one, you get entry to the other. So they'll be kind of cross promoting each other. I'm going to be the featured speaker along with William uh, Forston, who's the guy that wrote One Second After, and Tim from Old Grouch will be there amongst others. Topics that are going to be covered include working alongside county EMS and law enforcement in a, uh, in a WROL situation, emergency comms, vehicles, fuels, energy, food, water, preparing trade routes now, getting involved with your city and your county, etc. So if you guys want to meet me, uh, you can do that if you're anywhere near Asheville, North Carolina. Again, the date will be March 24th, 2012. We'll get that added to my public appearances pages uh, this week so we can get out more details as they come in. Um, another thing that I've been getting a lot of questions on, and I'm trying to stay away from politics, but it's getting interesting now. Um, I keep getting this question, can Ron Paul win in Iowa? Are you, were you wrong when you said Paul couldn't win? And if he does win in Iowa, what does it mean? Well, it looks like he can. And I'm not wrong often. And when I am wrong, I'm usually like sad that I was wrong. I could not be more joyful that it looks like Ron could pull a rabbit out of the hat. Um, he's a couple points behind Romney, and Romney has a lot of weaknesses. If some of these so-called conservative candidates that know they can't win, like Santorum, would actually look to a person like Ron Paul and realize that he is a better candidate for America than Romney uh, and Gingrich and throw their, their endorsement his way before this, like last-minute type thing, uh, you know what? I think he definitely could win. The bigger question I'm getting is, what does it mean if Ron wins Iowa? Well, this is, this is the big thing that it means. It means, number one, the people of this country are not as stupid as I thought, and that's great. 
That means that people in the country are waking up. If Ron Paul even loses by like one point or two points, if the polls work out the way that they're polling now uh, on, on, on the caucuses, then it's going to be really, really interesting. The big thing that it will mean, the mainstream media will have to stop pretending Ron Paul doesn't exist. That's, that's the big thing. They're going to have to stop pretending he's not there. They're going to stop having to go first, you know, where they had like polls and they're like, they show the first, the second, and the fourth place person in the polls. And the fourth place person is like 3%. Ron Paul's like 11% third place. They just don't put him in. That's happened so many. I can't think of many people have sent me screenshots of like CNN and uh, Fox News and all, showing results like that. So number one, they have to stop pretending he doesn't exist. The next thing it means, though, is full-on attack, like you've never seen before. Every single thing the man's ever said or done, and he will be painted as a kook, so he'll have to stand through that. I hope he can. But if Ron Paul can win Iowa, Ron Paul can win the nomination. Um, again, I'd be, I, I, it was, it's going to surprise me, but in a very, very positive way. If Ron Paul wins the nomination, he can beat Obama. I believe that as well. What does it mean for the country if we have a President Ron Paul? It may pull us back from the edge of oblivion. It is probably going to suck in some ways. I'm going to tell you right now, the country's going into a recession. Dr. Paul knows that, and he would accept it and work with it rather than try to hide it with more phony debt. It would mean a balanced budget. It would mean a president that every time a, a, a congressional budget came to his desk that wasn't balanced, got vetoed. And the Congress would have to override the veto and then face the American people. That's what it would mean. It would mean that um, if you're an IRS employee, get your resume on the street because the damn organization's getting shut down. The man is pledged to do that, and I believe if the president really wants to, he can. It would mean an attempt by the president to repeal the 16th Amendment. Uh, it would mean that if the United States military ever went into a conflict that the Congress would be asked, do you want to declare war or not? And if they did, then we will do it. And if they don't, then we don't. It would mean that we would spend more time protecting our borders than some foreign nation's borders. It would be really awesome. I just don't know if I'm ready to believe yet. I'm ready to support him. I'm ready to throw my full weight behind him. And if I get the chance, I'm sure it's all ready to vote for him. But I don't know if I'm ready to put my heart on the line and believe in my country enough Yet, the people of my country enough yet believe that they understand the sacrifice and they're willing to make it. If they are, this really is a modern 1776. And I would love to see it. I'd love to be part of it. That's what it means. Um, another article that's kind of interesting is um, just a little thing on meals and men's role in the house and cooking food and stuff like that. This is on Health News uh, at UPI.com. Santa Monica, California, December 31st, UPI. The Great Recession has changed many things about U.S. family life, including how families spend their time, what they buy, and where what they eat, a food expert says. Phil Lempert, a food industry analyst, trend watcher, and creator of the website SupermarketGuru.com, said because of the economy, more men are at home caring for children and have gone from breadwinner to breadmaker. 41% of men are doing the food preparation as compared with just about half of that percentage in 2003. In addition, a Boston College Center for Work and Family survey of 1,000 professional fathers from Fortune 500 companies in four different industries found contemporary dads associate being a good father just as much with effective caregiving as with the traditional role of a breadwinner. Quote, these men want to be engaged parents and successful professionals, yet find conflicts as they try to achieve both objectives, end quote, Lempert said in a statement. Economic pressures are resulting in men and women choosing to eat at home, save money, which occurs in any recession. But shoppers are continuing to buy local. They want to know more about how their food is grown and who grows it. Many farmers are staying in touch with their customers via Twitter and Facebook pages, the survey found. Also, there will be more interest in extreme home cooking, with families challenging themselves to eat more home-cooked meals, with the goal of cooking the most portions for the least amount of money. Awesome! Right, So actually some people look at that and go, that's proof the economy is tanking. Yeah, but it's one of the good things that happens in a recession. Dads actually giving a shit about their kids other than how'd you do today at school, son? Did you make the team? All right, dad's going out with the boys to play golf. Right, Dad's cooking meals. Here's a statistic in here that kind of surprises me, though. And I guess it's just because I love to cook. 
41% of men are doing food preparation as compared with just half of that percentage in 2003. So that means in 2003, only about 20% of men were doing any food preparation in the home. I, I find that weird. And, and the reason I find it weird isn't just because I like to cook, but almost all of the friends that I have cook. And I don't know if it's just like attracting like or what, but... Um, If you're a man and you never do food preparation in your home, comment today and tell me why. And tell me if you don't think maybe you're missing out on something. Uh, I, I think it's important to be in touch with your food. And actually preparing it is a good idea. And here's the deal. like If you guys cook, you can probably talk your wife into doing the dishes. And it's much more fun to cook than do dishes. And uh, I just think it's a great way to be involved and part of the family. And I also wonder if... If when they said it was only 20% in 2003, if they were not including the grill. Because that's the one that boggles my mind. I, I don't think you can have a man that has a, a, a place to live who doesn't immediately want to buy a grill and start burning some meat on it. If you are a man and you never cook, tell me why today in the comments section. I'd, I'd love to hear that. But another thing that's really, really cool in this article is what they're saying about farmers staying in touch with their customers. And again, it makes me really excited about the AgriTrue project because it's all about the, the consumer and the producer being able to talk with each other and know each other. And it's all about communication. It's all about not let the government decide what makes food healthy and what makes food unhealthy. Let the customer decide you know, what makes food healthy and unhealthy, and let the customer choose with their dollars by being able to find all of the local producers in their area and say, hey, do you do this or do you not do that? Because maybe you know, there are some standards with AgriTrue. No GMOs, no pesticides, no herbicides. Ethical treatment of animals, actual good quality care for animals, being able to see the sun, not standing in their own crap. But, you know, maybe there's some things that we allow, especially at kind of the first level, the silver level, that you're not comfortable with uh, or you don't want. Maybe you're okay with it if it's the only choice, but if there's someone that's not doing it you can buy from, you'd prefer to buy from them first and others second. Will you be able to make those decisions? And the Twitter and Facebook thing's cool, and we'll definitely integrate that, but I think it would be much better if there could be a collective intelligence so that when somebody finds a producer and somebody's already asked the question, they can just instantly find the answer. And so they can also instantly communicate with the producer as well. So they can set up things like a farm tour if they want to get out and get to know people, get deeper into their CSAs and things like that. So uh, I actually find that to be a very, very encouraging story, and thanks to the listener uh, that sent it to me. Um, I have another uh, – I'm not going to read the letter because I've got like 20 of them that are basically asking me the same thing. What's, what's up with silver prices dropping uh, so significantly? And I think it's a larger indicator. First, it's a correction I told you was coming, uh, and I told you back in like September that there would be major corrections long-term in the metals market. Just as I told you that 2012, 2011 would end up as an up year for the, for the market. So just looking at the Dow, the Dow was at about 11.6. Um, at the beginning of, of you know January 1st, 2011, and, the, and it closed right around 12.2. So it's not a huge up for the market, but the market ended up overall. Um, and I also said in August and September that those were good times to buy stocks because that, that temporary downturn uh, was going to turn around and come back up and the year would finish strong. And at that time, you know, we were looking at numbers around 11.4, so that's... That's a significant uh, upward movement of the overall market with select stocks. So um, I, I'm saying a lot of this stuff is it's just kind of working itself out exactly uh, as I've been calling it for a long time. Now, silver, on the other hand, back in like October, September, we're trading around 40 bucks, and now we're looking at about 27 And what I'm getting from people is now the time to buy silver. I don't know yet. I, I actually think there's more upside. There's more liquidity. They're going to hide this mess in Europe for a lot longer than anybody is willing to admit right now. They like the fear because they're using it to shake things up, but they're going to be able to push a lot of it under the rug. The Fed will bail, our Fed will bail out their asses behind closed doors and not tell anybody about it, um, at least short term. It's, uh, it's going to be a big marketing campaign, bigger than we've had so far. I think 2012, the markets are going to show a lot of strength. I think that in a lot of areas where housing property prices are way down, 
but the market is actually reasonably like it's a good place still. It's not completely gone to decay. Uh, the banks are going to have to start freeing up some money or start to see some recovery in the housing market. I think you'll see companies beginning to hire more employees. There's a lot of talent out there on the street right now that can be picked up for a song. So there's, there's deals everywhere. And when there's deals everywhere, eventually people start making them. And trust me, they are going to pour it on from the top level of government in an election year. So I think you're going to see uh, a surprisingly good 2012. When, when the economies do well in a fiat economy, commodities and uh, especially high-level commodities like gold and silver decline in value. Uh, because it's perceived as that the, the cash is less risky than the commodity. Um, there's going to be some individual commodities that will kind of spike. But what you'll see eventually in this mix is inflation start to run away. That's the thing. See, and this is what nobody gets. And people keep talking about like it's a disaster. It is a disaster, but it won't be at first. That's what the people that actually get it don't get. And everybody else doesn't get it at all. What people are saying is, well, when they start really pushing the liquidity that's out there, then the inflation's going to run away and the whole thing's over. No. Then there's your one big final hoorah before the big crash. And, and that's what I see coming. And silver and gold retreating are the prelude to that, that big start the band up thing. I keep telling you guys, though, I don't know how long that lasts. I don't know if that's a year or it's four years. My gut. My gut is the other side of this thing, coming back down the other side really, really hard, is like 2013, 2014, 2015, somewhere in that three-year area. But I could be wrong. But personally, if you're, if you're like buying small amounts of silver, I think silver's in a buy range. If you're talking about, I have five grand in an IRA and I want to move into silver, I'd be really, really careful with a decision like that right now. I think there's a long way... To, to, to come down yet, but again, I could be wrong. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not an investment advisor. I can just tell you that we're not buying large quantities of silver right now, but I'm still taking silver as payment for the MSB, and I'm happy to do so, even though it's it's worth a lot less. I'm taking it for the same exchange. So that tells you that my underlying feeling is it's more of a hold, wait, and see, and selective buying uh, by smart and watch it, and I, I think we might be seeing silver go into a $20 range uh, before it bottoms. And I can't tell you why. That's another gut feeling. I'm honest with you guys about it uh, when, when I'm saying things like that. I don't have a you know like a, uh, a fundamental indicator that, that tells me that's where we're headed, but it's kind of what it's just kind of what I feel. And my feelings have tended to, to kind of trend out. If you even saw silver in the $18 range uh, sometime in 20, uh, 2012, I wouldn't be totally shocked. I can tell you if it breaks $20, bucks, i am going to buy a lot of it. When it. If it breaks under $20, uh, it, it, it's time to start really picking it up with gusto. Um, with a caveat that you got to watch it what the rest of the market's doing. If, if, we're, if it hits $20 bucks and we're in the middle of, yeehaw, everything's great and super again, Man, hold off because it'll keep eroding. It's, they, they work their, their, their opposite twins. Gold and silver work opposite the economy. The better the economy, the, the more they retreat from their highs. And the worse the economy is people get fearful and go in to buy that commodity as an insurance uh, policy that more that drives that market up. There's some, that's not always the case. There's some aberrations in there. There was a huge move up in gold in like 2007, 2008 that was driven by uh, a growing middle class in China and India buying jewelry. So there's always things that can, can mess with that. But if you look at the really big uptick, you know, where silver and gold both just took off and went to historic highs, it goes as the economy fell, they went up. As the economy appears to recover, they come back down. So that's what's going on. You have to make your own decisions on how to handle and use that information. Okay, last one that we have today uh, is from Jerome. Jerome says, Jack, I'm a relatively new fan of your stuff. I've been listening to your podcast for about six months. I was wondering what your thoughts are about a potential major interruption of Internet service. I could envision a long-term loss of service due to system failure or government interference. We have become very dependent on, on connection to the Internet for a lot of things in modern-day life. It could be especially difficult for people that generate significant portions of their income, including yourself, from Internet businesses or businesses that need Internet access to function. I 
generated a portion of my income from trading futures and stocks and find it very difficult if I lost my connection for more than a few days. Any thoughts on backup plans or redundancy? Maybe you could talk a little about your contingency plan if a long-term interruption in service should happen. Jerome. Well, one thing that we found when the government jacked around with Internet access in Egypt to shut down the communication was going on during uh, things over there, having dial-up is a good thing. So just having a dial-up service, especially even if you went to like having a dial-up service in another country where you dial a foreign number, it's long-distance charge and everything, but at least you could get access if it was like they shut it down to control things or if they were filtering it to control things. But the reality is if, if you're saying the Internet is down, right, not Internet for you, but Internet for everybody, it almost doesn't matter that you can get online. Who are you going to talk to? Do you know what makes the Internet useful Is all the other people there. It's the information exchange that's going on. It's the interactivity and interconnectivity. Now, I will say something to my tinfoil hat brethren about this. This whole, the government's going to shut down the internet, man. Don't bet on it. Don't bet on it. Because I'm telling you, if you want to see people pissed, if you want to see Occupy D.C., And you want to see congressional clowns literally and physically pulled out of their chairs, turn off Twitter and Facebook. And it'll happen. Those kids will snap a gasket and they will literally tear the place from asunder. And they know that. Please understand that the way that the internet is today, the genie's out of the bottle. I know a lot of you have this like romanticism about Little House on the Prairie type communities and all, and you think it's all going to go away, and it's all going to go back to the way it was someday, and, and everybody will just live like, like they did in 1880. It ain't going to happen. The bottle is open, the genie is out, and for all intents and purposes, the bottle's been smashed. There's no bottle to put the genie back into. So, if we have that kind of wide-scale internet uh, interruption... It's not going to be by intent. Now, will they filter and, and do things like that and get in our way with certain things and try to control the information flow that up till now has been a relatively free-flowing information flow? They may. They may very well. And there's some things that we need to stay on top of to ensure that doesn't happen. But the thing itself isn't going to go away unless there's like a natural disaster. So if you have a, if the grid's down, there's no power. Well, then there's no internet either. So when I look at my contingencies, I look at them this way. Internet gone, just not available for a month or more. We have bigger problems. So it's all my other contingencies of being a prepper. Food storage, alternative energy, everything, right? Uh, saved up money, having cash, being having no debt, all of that stuff so that I can make it through to the other side of whatever the event is, is causing it. If it's my Internet, right, let's say that some ass clown with a backhoe tears a fiber line out, and I go a week without being able to get internet to my office, well, now we have satellite internet at the house. And I think we'll find that satellite internet is going to probably work for us when a lot of uh, hardline infrastructure may be in some type of a failure. So I, I do believe it's important to have more than one method of access, whether it's being able to tether to a smartphone or something like that, especially if you're in business. If you're in business doing this, you want redundancy. So dial-up sucks, but it does work. And as long as there's a phone signal, you can dial somewhere. So that's one. Satellite's an option. Cellular uh, service is an option. Uh, wireless broadband. Uh, I wish I could get it. You know, I just had a buddy of mine I was talking to on the phone the other day say, well, check into this broad." You know, I just don't tell me the name of it. I'm like, I don't, it doesn't even matter. Because where I live, there's no line of sight. You can't get it there. Um, but we just got Wild Blue, and it's, it works fairly well. There's some latency things that are a little bit annoying, but, boy, it's a lot better than that little AT&T stick that we had up there. Uh, and it, it's always on, and we can share multiple computers with it. I could run the show with that. I would probably have to cut my bit rate down uh, during the time I was doing it to, like, 16 uh, kbps. And the show would lose a little bit of the auto quality that you're accustomed to. It would be a little bit tinny in the background, but most of you wouldn't even care. And I wouldn't be doing a lot of video uploading. But I could run the show from the house now if I had to. So that's part of my contingency plan right there. Um, but good question, and it's something we all need to think about. But please, please be careful, folks. I, I, I brought a lot of this to you at the end of 2011, and I'm going to kick off 2012 with it. All of the stuff that's out there that's designed to make you afraid, it's designed to make you spend your money. It's designed to make you um, part of their system versus the system, right? 
um, this stuff where everybody's out to get you, uh, the government's just trying to control everybody, you know, there's some truth to that, but not the way these people are telling you this. They're not going to lock you up. I keep getting, I've been getting so many questions lately. What do we do if they come to our house with guns and lock us in FEMA camps? Man, please. Seriously. You know, if that type of thing ever goes down in this country, it's going to be, it, it's not going to be a bunch of sheep being led to the slaughter. And, and, you know, as long as we still have the ability to be an armed society and a connected society, the, the, even if somebody wants to do that, it, it's not like it was in Nazi Germany. It just isn't. And, and nothing's going to change that overnight, right? The biggest danger this country has is it's not its government, because the government are the people. The biggest danger we have are us. We're acting like idiots. We don't save money. We're all in debt. We live like there is no tomorrow, so we're creating an environment for us. I'm working on a book for my uh, my business side of things, and what I say in the book in one chapter that I was working on this weekend is the prison walls are being built by the prisoners themselves. It's not a FEMA camp you're going to be locked into. It's a lifetime of debt and a miserable retirement where you hope you die before you run out of money. These are the real threats. There's natural disasters. And don't think I don't believe there's not malevolence in government. Of course I do. Don't think I don't believe there's not a move even toward global socialism and global government and global taxation. Of course there is. But it's not what the whack jobs are telling you. And what you do matters. And who you are matters. And how you live your life matters. And it's more important than anything you can buy or anything you can own. It's great to have long-term storage food. It's great to have a generator. But how you think, how you act, and how you run your life is so much more important than stuff. People will say to me, how do I not get burned out? Don't focus on the stuff. And don't focus on the fear. Focus on the mentality. Focus on the inner warrior. Focus on what you can do and focus on how you design your lifestyle. Design your lifestyle to be incredibly resilient and incredibly redundant. And a lot of this fear-based crap will stop mattering to you and you'll start living your life like what you are, a human being. Unfortunately, most of the country, they're not even sheep. Do you know what they're living like? Cows. It's much better. Instead of the sheeple, they're like the, the cattle, the human cattle. The human cattle, they like to be controlled. They like to be led. They want to be fed. They even enjoy, cows even enjoy being milked for God's sakes. And that's how I see most people in America. They, they want, they let the government and the corporations lead them. And then they let the lenders and the internal revenue service and the government revenue enhancement of all these different taxes milk them. And they live a relatively content life. If that's you, fine, go do that. But those are the people that are always fearful when any little part of the matrix begins to have a glitch and they see some true reality, they start freaking out. People that just say, you know, I'm not a cow. I'm not going to be milked. I'm going to run my life my way. When they see little cracks in the matrix, they go, well, of course it's a matrix. Of course it's going to crack. But I'm going to live my life my way. On my terms. That's what I want for you in this great new year of 2012. And when you hear all the hysteria that's going to be trumped up over the next few months, just remember, there's going to be some really badass deals on Craigslist and eBay come January 2013. And we'll be here all the way through then. Hope to see some of you guys in Asheville, North Carolina, or New Hampshire at the Liberty Forum. And, of course, in January, we'll be at the SHOT Show in Vegas. If you're going to be out at any of those places, let me know. We'll try to hook up while we're there. With that, this is Jack Spirigo with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough. Or even if they don't. It's in our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way You don't have to be another face in the crowd Don't have to live the way they tell you to Make your own way Wow.
children just can't pay Cause nobody up there cares They're living for today Yeah.